morning, everyone. It's good to see you. You all looked a little bit stunned at that last chart. You didn't know what was coming. You didn't. You're awake now, right? Good to have you with us this morning. If you're a guest with us today, let me welcome you. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. And um, you never know what you're going to experience when you come to First Christian Church. I'm very glad you're with us. If you'd like to get to know us, uh, maybe you could text your name uh, to the church's phone number, 217 875-3350. We'd love to have a chat or start a conversation or at least let you know here that you're here. And I'm very glad you're with us. To everybody here in the West Auditorium, everybody in the East, those of us here in the West, they joined us for that last song. Uh, normally they're doing their own, you know, there's a, a band over there, but for this morning, for that one song, they joined us. And um, everybody online, it's great to have you as well. So would you take your Bible, please, and turn to John chapter 15, 14. John 14 today is probably all seven eights of the way through the Bible. If you're grabbing a Bible out of the pew rack or the ones that are in the room in the Easter auditorium, you can see the page number if you've got your smartphone. Look for John, not first, second, or third John, but actually for the book called John, all right? I want to start tonight, today uh, with a story that um, maybe you could imagine this scene with me as you're looking from John chapter 14, all right? Suppose an older gentleman began attending our congregation's worship services, or any church's worship services. And it's plain that he has some significant funds. It's plain he has some talent in teaching children. The congregation is glad to see the impact of his generosity, as well as the impact that he has with the boys and girls around him. And all is well until about nine months in, when an ex-wife shows up. And she uh, comes with tales of, well, physical abuse and all kinds of struggles in a previous marriage. And suddenly the church leaders are placed with a, faced with a very um, difficult decision. What should we do? Should we continue to allow him to teach? And should the church continue to accept his gifts? How would we decide? Who would help us form our decision What's our guide? Some of you are probably thinking, right, as I ask those questions, Wayne, you seem a little bit confused this morning. This sounds like the introduction to last weekend's sermon. You sure you didn't print off the wrong document? <laughs> and you, Wayne, you know, you know that uh, you're going to preach a few more times between now and June, but you've got to get back on your game. Some of you are thinking that. I know you are. Wayne, do your best to keep up if you can. No, I'm intentionally starting this weekend's message with the same story as last weekend. It was very intentional on my part. Because what we're doing is, in this sermon series, we are exploring the core values of a church, our foundations, if you will. And these core values of our congregation impact how we make decisions. Like, how would our church respond to that scenario that I just presented to you? These core values are matters of um, church life that form our work together. They are the parameters, you know, the bookends, if you will, of our mission. And they have been our, our parameters, our core values, for many, many years. Back in the early 2000s, a group of church leaders from the congregation, we gathered together over a weekend. And we prayerfully formed these core values. We identified the four ways that we do business and life and ministry and mission and relationships, how we act, how we pray. These were the four ways that we said, this is, how we, this is what will guide us as a congregation. We said, we will always respond to God's word. That's what we looked at last week. We encounter the Holy Spirit. We expect the Holy Spirit to be engaged in our lives and in the life of our church. We are responsible to and for the community both outside the walls and inside the walls. 
And then finally, core value number four, which has been proven to be very helpful at some moments along the way, and that is that we embrace change. We're willing to say how we are today is not how we may be tomorrow, or how we are today is certainly not how we were yesterday. And so we started last, uh, last week with looking at our congregation's view of the Bible, acknowledging that from our perspective, and there are Christians who might disagree with us, but from our perspective, all the questions and all the situations of our lives as individuals and as a congregation begin and end with what the Scriptures has to say. It's where we go for our answers when it comes to making decisions about our ministry, our life together, our mission, our future. All of it starts and ends with the Bible. And, and that's why this story that I presented to you today and last week is so helpful. See, I heard from some of you over the week saying, uh, quite frustrated actually, Wayne, you told us the story, but you didn't tell us how to end it. You presented the dilemma, but you didn't tell us what would the church do other than to say we'd look to the Bible. Well, yeah, I wanted you to ponder that if I could get inside your head for just a few days. And how would the Bible, and then how would we respond? See, um, apparently, that's a very difficult dilemma. What would the Bible say about an older gentleman who has a lot of resources and a lot of, brings a lot to a church, if you will, but there's this stuff in his past? What would we do? How would the Bible respond to that? Well, first of all, we'd go back to the Bible where Scripture says to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's where we ended last week. That a way to begin to answer the dilemma is by considering how we would want to be treated. But then the Bible goes on beyond that and says, so if an accusation had been made against someone, not only should you treat both parties as if you'd like to be treated, but that also all stories and conversations and accusations, we would need corroboration from two or three witnesses. Because this is the question, just because someone comes up and said this happened, what if, what if she was lying? It would be quite clear that the church's leadership team's would have some investigations in front of us. It's a difficult matter, of course. But there couldn't be just a blanket statement saying you can't serve here because that's not how you'd like to treat your neighbor, right? You want, you want to figure out how do we do life together. Perhaps also, maybe while the accusations prove to be true, still some other questions are necessary. Has a change occurred in this man's life? Is grace in play? Now, I don't want to downplay violence or abuse in any way, but there are ways to make reasoned and informed biblical decisions about all these settings that we face as a congregation and that you face as an individual. So it would seem then that this scenario that we looked at last week would serve us today as well. Not only we look at how we view Scripture, but also how we examine the second core, the second core value that we have, and that is we, we plan. It is part of our intent to encounter the Holy Spirit, that we have a reliance on the Holy Spirit to lead us in all things. And see, the Bible might help us discover the truth about this man and his ex-wife. I mean, the Bible might help us figure out what to, what to do. We're going to treat him as a neighbor, as we would like to be treated, and we're going we're to take a look and discover the truth. That's the what. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to put those scriptural passages and those scriptural truths into play? How should the church investigate his ex-wife's concerns? And this is where the Spirit of God, this is where our second core value, the Holy Spirit, comes into the picture. Because it's the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, 
that gives us, among many gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us, the Holy Spirit gives gifts of wisdom and knowledge and discernment. And the Holy if you're walking with God, one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the results of walking with the Holy Spirit is gentleness. In other words, this church, if this was our setting, or in your life where you have some settings, you're wondering, man, how am I going to manage this? You need Holy Spirit wisdom to approach this setting. Christians need the, we need the Holy Spirit for every activity in life and, and, and every part of our spirituality, which is why, again, I'll go back and say, why encountering the Holy Spirit is one of our four core values. We have the Bible's what to do, and the Holy Spirit gives us the how. And I'd like to see how this is described in Scripture. And so we're going to read from um, John chapter 14. And just to set the stage, this, we're going to read in a passage of Scripture that is very late in Jesus' life. As a matter of fact, when I say it's late, it is just a matter of hours before he is going to be arrested and executed. And he knows this is about to happen. Now, his disciples were hanging out with him they don't realize this is about to happen. But in these last few hours of his life, Jesus has some very important teachings that he wants to give to them. I mean, think about it this way. If you knew that in about four or five hours from now, at the most, you're going to be arrested and your ability to visit with your family and friends is forever curtailed until you die three days from now. There are certain things. Some things would fall by the wayside in terms of, you know, you're not going to worry. Well, the car keys are so-and-so. No, you're going <laughs> to... You know, you're going, to want to, you're going to want to really focus on, remember to water the plants. No, you're not going to say that. You're going to say, you know, these are the most important things that I want you to know. And while the disciples didn't realize that Jesus' death was coming, he did. And let's see among the things that land on his important list where he goes. John chapter 14, beginning at verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. So here it is, the last few minutes, last few hours before Jesus is taken away, and he's focusing on his teaching, the things he said in the past. My Father will love someone who follows my teaching. We will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who doesn't love me won't obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So the key right here is he's, he's wanting to talk about where are you going to get teaching in the future? All this I have spoken to you while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, uh, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you. He's still talking about teaching. But now someone else is going to do some teaching, the Holy Spirit. He will remind you of everything I've said to you. And by the way, as a result of all of this work of the Holy Spirit, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. What's going on there? Well, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And in a nutshell, he's saying, I've been with you for some time now. We've traveled together. We, we've hung out. We've eaten meals together. You've seen me do all kinds of things. You saw, you saw people whose spirituality was dramatically changed. You saw people get healed. You saw the dead get resurrected to life. You saw blind people begin to see. You, see, you saw me take on the religious leaders. And it's better for me to go away. And the disciples are going, how is it better? How is it any better? I mean, this doesn't make sense, Jesus. And he says, the Father is sending the advocate. That's another word that means someone who walks right beside you. Now, there's a key. If you think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the part of the triune God 
that walks beside you wherever you go. See, here's, here's the dilemma. If you wanted to be with Jesus, the Son of God, in full human form, you had to right, be right beside him, right? And Jesus could only be in one place at one time. But through the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ, the advocate, the one who walks alongside, can be with you and can be with someone else that's 100 miles away. Or think of it this way. So I have a friend who pastors the um, Vineyard Church in um, Nairobi, Kenya. The presence of God is here this morning, and the presence of God can be in Nairobi, Kenya at exactly the same time. Jesus could never do that, but the Holy Spirit can. And the good news is, he says to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will teach you and will remind you of maybe all the things that you've already forgotten and maybe even tell you some things yet that you have to learn. So when you're faced with that situation of that gentleman and the ex-wife, you've got not just You've got not just the Scriptures, which is incredibly powerful and the most important authority, but beyond that, you've got the work of the Holy Spirit. Like, I'm right beside you, teaching you and showing you. All that Jesus did in person with his disciples is saying, that same presence and that same power is available to all his followers. And his ministry and his teaching is available to everyone. We'll put it this way, that Jesus' presence and ministry of teaching and healing carries on through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. And here's some really good news, friends. It's available for you right now. See, in the story we started with today, wondering about how the congregation is going to take the wisdom of Scripture to this older gentleman, it has to be with the direction and the teaching and the leading of the Holy Spirit who would guide the congregation's leaders. And since the expectation of our congregation is that we, we encounter the Holy Spirit, since we expect the ongoing work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit to be part of our life, then we intently and intentionally listen for God's wisdom to, us to, come, to come to us accordingly. For example, can, can, can I, I, I want to tell you, a fair, it's a bit of a long story, but Hang with me and see if you can understand this. Back in early 2020, so more than 18 months, at 18 months ago now, uh, I came across uh, a, a historian out of Great Britain. Christopher Dawson has been called the greatest English-speaking Catholic historian of the 20th century. And I started reading this man's work. He died in 1970. And some of his stuff was absolutely brilliant from a point of view of history. And... Uh, he, he unpacks Christian history in ways that I would not heard it before. And he, he kind of shows how the story of Christianity goes like this. There's a crisis, and the church is not very well in, in not very good shape. They respond to the crisis, and it gets better, and then it goes into another crisis. And there are these eras, there are these epochs within Christian history. And he said, invariably, the crisis um, begins to be solved with some rather innocuous event. For example, um, Johannes Gutenberg. That's a name everybody remembers. Okay, I remember. Yeah, he was my old neighbor. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> He's the guy who brought print the printing press to the Western world. Now, actually, movable type had been invented by the Chinese many years before. But in 1452, he figured out how to use the movable type and printing press in Europe. And the, do you remember what, what was the first book he printed? He printed the Bible. Now, think about what this is the first time then that the Bible was available for non-clerics. 
Up until that time, the Bible, because for a variety of different reasons, but primarily because they were, it was so expensive to hand copy, not everybody was allowed to read it. But once it became available to the general public, then it could say, man, suddenly the Scriptures and the implications of knowing the Scriptures were available to all, 1492. And it's fair to say that the Reformation, the Enlightenment, even I could say our focus in our present time upon education, certainly that grew up in the 20th century, and that everybody's going to go to school in the Western world, those novel ideas compared to where they are from the rest of history, it could all be traced back to the development of the printing press. So I'm reviewing um, Dawson's work and reading through, and, and, and as he's about to die in 1970, he basically says, the church is probably coming to the end of its great missionary efforts of the 18th, 19th, and 20th century. I don't know what's ahead. He's dead then. I go, dude, you left me hanging. What, what's next? And I'm trying to figure that out, and I'm doing some other reading and studying of Scripture. And as I was reviewing his work, I'd have to say I had what I would call a Holy Spirit moment. That if we expect to encounter the Holy Spirit, then shouldn't there be from time to time these Holy Spirit moments when you say, hey, God has really spoken to me? And that became apparent to me our world is in a similar moment to what happened at the invention of the printing press. What has changed in recent years? We no longer need the printing press because we have this. The iPhone is some 15 years old, but hasn't it changed our world? I mean, we are now all now Dick Tracy's, if some of you may know that. We literally, I mean, we, our granddaughter's at an event today in Rochester, New York, and Leslie and I sent her a video this morning congratulating her. And, you know, four years old, and we're able to say, hey, honey, have a great day. And, and, you, would we have ever thought? I mean, suddenly we can now interact with each other through, the vi through video. And the printing pr press no longer rules the day. So in 2020, as I'm reading this and this thought comes to mind, I began to ponder about the long-term implications of that for our congregation. And so I asked the leaders, uh, staff and, le and um, lay leaders, to join me in a series of meetings over a couple days to discuss how should we now, if, if, if the world is changing and the printing press is no longer the driving force, and the iPhone is now the driving force, if you will. How should we change our ministries accordingly? And we discerned that we are in the middle of a Holy Spirit moment where we had to think and plan anew for how we are managing video and our online presence. So I want to give you the date, okay? So think about, I want you to remember this date. March 8th of 2020 is when we decided to do something about our video department. March 8th. We decided we were going to spend a significant amount of money, like in the tens upon tens of, well, a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money. I'm going, we're spending how much? And um, that we're going to put a lot of people resources, and we're going to, going to fast track development of our video department. And while we were doing great with video, man, we're going to have to just really ramp it up. And we agreed that it would take thousands of dollars in new equipment. We said, we're going to have to figure out camera placement and how many cameras are in the West Auditorium and what do we need in terms of cabling and what sort of back, you know, back line equipment do we need and who do we need. And, and because we came to this clear understanding that with people's phones, it was apparent that in the days ahead, 
Worship was not going to be confined, worship of First Christian Church Decatur was not going to be confined to the wall, four walls of this building. You, you know, we had Lovington going, and, and, and those in the East Auditorium, we'd already figured out how to do that, but it became apparent that that way of doing things had to change, and that we had to figure out how are we going to let people or allow, people want to worship in, at various times, the Sunday mornings or Saturday nights, what are we going to do? That was March 8th, and we said, let's figure this out. We're going to fast track it 18 months through the end of 2021. We thought we had about 19, 20 months. We actually had about four days before the governor shut us down. And, we, and looking back at that now, at least we had thought space around our head that, man, we, we, we don't have 18, 19, 20 months to ramp up. We got three or four days. Off we go. And so we did. And so we, you may recall, we changed camera positions. We bought new cameras. It took forever for some of the equipment to arrive and so forth. But here's what I am convinced of. That's a long story to say this. I'm convinced that a congregation can encounter the Holy Spirit to lead and teach and guide its ministry. Absolutely. Why be in business otherwise? So to speak. If we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is going to use us to speak to individuals, then why, why bother? But we believe that the Holy Spirit, we encounter the Holy Spirit so that other people can encounter the work of God. And so just as the Holy Spirit leads us, so we believe that the Holy Spirit leads and directs individuals. We expect people to seek God's direction for their lives. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit's teaching for their futures. And to that regard... Uh, for example, we're in the midst of some shifts in staff here at First Christian. Three people from our staff have left our lineup in recent days, all for Holy Spirit-driven reasons. Janie Kane is joining her husband in retirement. He retired from uh, being a state trooper a number of years ago, and every year she says, this, I'm going to retire and be with Brad this year, and we say one more year, one more year, one more year, and this year, as a matter of fact, this is her last weekend, and uh, she's upstairs with the kids right now, and um, I believe it's the Holy Spirit's leading and teaching her in that regard. Morgan Arsenault is leaving our staff for a period, uh, planning to spend more time at home in the days ahead. It's a long story, but suddenly they find themselves, the, the, uh, Morgan and, and, and her husband find her, that they are suddenly, um, they have three little boys under three years of age at their house, somewhat unexpectedly, and so I applaud the Arsenaults for their decision to be directed by the Holy Spirit. Same thing for Lori Putnam. Lori has left our staff after serving with great dedication for more than 16 years. And throughout the last few months, she's sort of been saying, I feel some stirring, it's some holy discomfort. And um, so she's taken the summer to spend some time with her sons um, and with, with her and Mark's son and seeking God's plan for a future ministry as well. All three shifts, I'm convinced, come at direction of the Holy Spirit. Are they easy moves? No. Um, maybe for Janie, perhaps particularly, but I mean, these are, she's going to golf a lot. And that sort of stuff. But through prayer, they are following God's direction and God's teaching. As a matter of fact, um, I, I want to I ask you right now to pray for all three of them as they begin these new um, roles in life. Let's pray. God, I pray right now for Janie and for Morgan and for Lori. Um, all three ladies, Lord, when I think the number of years that they served us, wow. And with such dedication and um, perseverance and compassion and passion, there are new days ahead for them, God, and I pray that these days would be great for them, that you would grace them 
with your ongoing presence. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. If you see them in the building today, please thank them, okay? I'm also convinced that not only does the Holy Spirit direct churches and people that you look at, but I'm also convinced that the Holy Spirit wants to lead and teach you as you experience the full presence of Jesus' ministry in your life. See, remember we said that the Holy Spirit continues the earthly ministry of Jesus in places and times and settings where one person cannot go. And so if, if the Holy Spirit is someone who walks alongside us, then um, kind of be like the friend. I had a friend sit in the front porch with me last night, and it was one of those conversations where it's just really sweet. It's where you kind of go, hey, I'm nudging you, and you're nudging me, and, you know, it's like those sort of walks together. Those are, aren't those great moments in life? I've got this question. What would the Holy Spirit be nudging you to do today? What's sort of deep in your soul, or perhaps a better way to put it, what's deep down in your gut that you know God's been speaking to you about? And you say, oh, that's not really God. God doesn't talk to people like me. Well, if he's right beside you, in the belly, hey, What's with this? I would ask you this. Have you responded? Have you responded to the Holy Spirit's call on your life for any number of things? And particularly, have you responded to the Holy Spirit's call on your life to declare faith in Jesus Christ as your crucified and risen Savior? If you haven't crossed the line of faith yet, then perhaps today you'd like to respond accordingly. And since we've prayed already for um, the staff shifts, I'd like to pray for you. If this, if this is you and you're walking along and you've got that nudge in your belly and you go, well, who is this and what is this? And this really isn't God calling me to be a Christian, is it? Yeah, it is. It is. This isn't really God calling me to do something different. No, it is. God wants you to act differently. So can I pray for you right now? Lord, I pray for everybody online, for everybody in the West Auditorium, for everybody in, East, on the, in the East Auditorium. Lord, for people who are watching today or maybe watching in three months from now and participating in worship that way, I pray, God, that you would um, allow us to experience those nudges. And particularly, Lord, if it's a case where someone has not yet crossed the line of faith and declared faith in Jesus Christ, I pray with every fiber of my being, God, may this be the day in which a change occurs. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If that's you today, by the way, if that's you, you say, hey, it, I really feel like I crossed the line of faith today and I, something happened within me right now. I don't know how to describe it. Then what we'd like to do is have a chat with you so we can unpack it together. Maybe you could text your name again to the church's phone number, have a conversation with us, 217-875-3350, and say, something weird happened in church today, or something weird's happened in the living room that you guys planned for that we were going to have to be watching on video and all that sort of stuff. It's all come together for me right now. We'd love to have a conversation with you. You know what else you might consider? You might consider getting baptized. 
Baptism is the first act of discipleship. And you, I'll tell you this. If you want to get baptized today, you and I will do it today. All right? We'll fill the tub right behind me. It'll be really, really cold, but I'll do it. <laughs> It'll be really, really cold. Can I tell you? This is just something I know. The video team is right now going, where is he going on this? Did you know in the ancient church, I'll just straight up. In the ancient church, when you chose to be baptized... The ancient church father said the best way to be baptized is in cold running water in the nude. We're not doing that. <laughs> but if you'd like to get baptized, I'd love to participate. <laughs> Listen to the promptings of the... I said, I'll just tell you. Well, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit within you. And finally today, I'm going to pray for you one more time. Here's why. Uh, the scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit continues Jesus' earthly ministry and that his presence can be very close to you. There's a story in scripture that helps me understand this in a very powerful way. It's one of my, one of my favorite stories of scripture. It's from Mark chapter 5. And here's, here's the setup. Jesus is kind of traveling around and uh, crowds are beginning to gather around him. And here's what happens in Mark chapter 5. A woman who's standing in the crowd, she's there in the crowd, and she'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. So Jesus doesn't know he's, that she's doing this. She's reaching out her hand, hand like this, all right? When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I can just get close enough, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Okay, that's a cool story, but here's the other thing. At once, Jesus realized God in the flesh knew that this woman was healed. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples are kind of like, Are you kidding me, Jesus? They got the crowd around you. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, Who touched me? Jesus, you, you're kind of you're out of your ever-loving mind, Jesus. Go, Come on, what's with that? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith. She'd reached out saying, If I can have some faith and just in faith. He says, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Here's what I love about this story. Jesus' power and his healing work was available through her. A hand reached out. That was it simply. That power was already there. But since, and since the ongoing powerful ministry of Jesus Christ is available now through the Holy Spirit, then I'm absolutely convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that God's presence is here for you and for me simply through an outstretched hand. And my point is this, that maybe you're like that woman. You faced an issue of some sort 
for year upon year upon year, and instead of it getting better, it only gets worse. Or maybe it's something that just came up this morning on the way to church. You got something on your phone, and you go, are you kidding me? Oh, man. Perhaps the point of need or the point of concern is not about you, but someone whose story you know. But in other words, it's a matter that goes to the extent of this woman in Mark 5. Something is off, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Well, I'd like to give you a moment where you can reach out a hand and experience the presence of Christ, the healing, changing, ever-renewing power of Jesus Christ that is available through the Holy Spirit's ministry to you today. So would you pray with me, please? Lord, people across this building in two auditoriums and people, Lord, online, people um, people in need, God, are facing issues that it just looks like, man, this is, this is gone. This is really rough stuff. I pray, God, that you, through the work of your Holy Spirit, would bring the power of Christ into our lives today. While everyone's praying, maybe you're at a place. If you're at the house, do this. If you're in one of the auditoriums, do this. If you're at the house, where you say, man, this is a really a moment where I need to reach out my hand. I'd invite you. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. I'd invite you to simply stand. Stand and say, I'm, this is me. This is me. I'm in the need right now. Or if that seems just, man, I can't get there emotionally, maybe take a, a posture of receiving and put your hands, palms up on your knees and say, Lord, this is who I am. I'm in desperate need of you. Take that posture. And God, I pray right now that through arms stretched out, through lives, Lord, and hearts that are just like the nudge is so deep within, I pray, God, that your work, the work of Jesus Christ available through the Holy Spirit, I pray that that would be everyone's experience today in Christ's name.